Okay, so Grace Evangelism Training. For those that have the book, just follow along. Every time you see an underline on the screen, it means that that's a fill in the blank that you could fill in there in your workbook. If you need pens, I have some pens. Anybody need pens to take notes or whatever? Okay, if you need them, just they're over here. Okay, now, let's say, oh, you don't have the book, but you do want to do the final exam. Okay, good. Just follow along the notes. The, no the final exam is pretty much based on the gospel track of NBC. So, if you want to take the final exam, right, the homework for next week, for those that have the book, is to memorize this first card. Okay? To memorize this first card, which basically is it, day is, it's, the first step of the NBC gospel track. So get the gospel track if you don't have the book, but if you have this book, this is going to be for next class, okay? And I will personally, those that are taking it, you know, officially with this, we'll, we'll meet afterwards and I will quiz you on this, all right? And we will practice and do role playing on this card. The second part of the homework is the worksheet. Worksheet number one. You complete that worksheet for next class as well. Basically, it's asking you, identify three unbelievers, family, friends, co-workers, and pray daily for God to bring them to repentance and to give you opportunities to present the gospel to them. Choose one of the unbelievers from the list above and interview him using the following questions. Is there a God? How do you know that he exists or does he not exist? How can he be described? You just follow along, okay? This is putting faith in action, all right, this is putting our, what we've learned to practice. Now, just follow along and trust me, it'll be fine, okay? One of the first things that you will realize when it comes to evangelism is the first sentence of how to engage. But once you start talking, and if you really know it in your mind, everything comes naturally and it flows. That's the whole purpose of grace evangelism training where you will know it so well in your mind that when you start talking and teach and talking to others, it just comes out naturally. And we will have practice with each other. We will practice a lot, role play a lot, practice a lot, role play a lot to the point where you will know how to do this. This will change a lot of your walk with the Lord. This will take your Christianity, your relationship to God to a next level, one that you've never experienced before. Why? Because now you're able to share with those the good news that saved you with everyone that comes your way. And it's the best feeling in the world to preach God's gospel and to see him work in the lives of those unbelievers. I took it at this age. I was 14 when I took my first evangelism training. And it was what I needed because I had the, the passion to want to share with others the love of Christ. I didn't know how. I didn't know what to say. Maybe that you fall into that category where you want to share with others the love of Christ, the gospel, but you don't know where to start or you don't want to say. This seven-week program will give that to you. If you put the hard work into it, if you memorize what you need to memorize, you will be able to do that because God calls us all to do this. All right. What comes to your mind when you hear the word evangelism? Anybody? Yes. Spreading the gospel. What emotions come to your mind when you hear the word evangelism? Nervous. You, you become nervous. Why would you become nervous? Anybody? Yes. Stage fright. Stage fright. What else? 
fear of man. Oh, what are they going to say? Am I going to lose my friends? Are they going to think that I'm one of those crazy uh, street preachers or whatever? What else? If you, they pop a question that you're not prepared for, good. What else can cause you to be nervous or scared? What about not knowing what to say? Right? Not knowing what to say or how to say it. Those are all valid points. Now, what is biblical evangelism? What is biblical evangelism? Well, we need to define it because in today's society, what a lot of churches and people do is they try to accomplish more by doing less. And what does that mean? It means that instead of preaching a whole clear gospel, they only share a side of the gospel that is appealing, that is easy. But the side that gets confrontational or requires people to change, that's the part that they omit. And that is not a biblical evangelism. Biblical evangelism is all the gospel, presenting God as love, but also as holy. And that's what we'll be learning throughout this time. And there's no man-made gimmicks here that we can do to have somebody convert to Christianity. A lot of people think that if I do this, if I say it this way, if I invite everyone to church and dim the lights and put a, mu- a, a, a certain music in the background and get people into this mood that they will just receive and the, the, the gospel and they will receive Christ. The only, way, the only one that saves is the Holy Spirit. Period. No lights, no gimmicks, none of that. Now, in God's grace, can those gimmicks be used? Sure. But as long as the complete gospel is preached, not just half, which is what a lot of churches do. So, moving forward, what will grace evangelism do? It will give you fluency to preach this saving message, and it's also going to allow you to present this message clearly to the world. And when I say the world, I mean your family, brothers and sisters, cousins, aunts, uncles, neighbors, friends from school, etc. That is your world. That is who you will preach a clear gospel, and you will be fluent to do so if you put the work in, if you memorize what you need to. You will be doing this by the end of our seven weeks. So what makes grace evangelism distinct from any other? Well, it's a biblical form of evangelism, and we're going to look at four parts of what makes the gospel, what makes biblical evangelism biblical. So we're going to go over the mission, the motivation, the message, and the method. Okay? Those are the four things we're going to look at today. If you have any questions, please raise your hand. Let's start with the mission. Why? God's ultimate purpose for evangelism is to glorify himself. God's ultimate purpose for evangelism is to glorify himself. Right? Okay. What does that mean? It's, it's a mind shift. Evangelism is about God, not about man. What does that mean, Alejandro? Yeah, God is God-centered, not man-centered. 
Evangelism is God saving those that are lost for his own glory. What do I mean by that? Isaiah 48, 9 through 11. For the sake of my name, I delay my wrath. And for my praise, I restrain it from you in order not to cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I will act. For how can my name be profane? And my glory I will not give to another. This is God saying and talking to the Jews who are in exile. This is who I do it for. For my name I will save you. Then we see Psalm 106, 7 through 8. Our fathers in Egypt did not understand your wonders. They did not remember your abundant kindness, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. Nevertheless, he saved them for the sake of his name, that he might make his power known. Yeah, he... He wanted to free his people from the Pharaoh's affliction and from the tortures of Egypt and from slavery. He wanted to do that. But ultimately, he wanted to save them for the sake of his own name. He did it for his glory. He wanted the world to see that the God of Israel is powerful enough, even to the point where the Egyptians were coming, he opened the Red Sea for his glory so the world can see who he was. Showing love to his people, of course, but not because of his people only, but because of himself. Ezekiel 36, 22 to 23. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you went. I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned, profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when I prove myself holy among you in their sight. He's about to deliver them to the Babylonians. And guess what? He's going to also promise their restoration. But is he saying, well, because you guys will eventually learn your lesson, then that's when I'll save you. Is he saying that? No, he's saying you will be here because you deserve it, because you stand before me. And I will rescue you after 70 years. You know why? For my name's sake. Because I am God and I will receive the glory, not you. So that was point A out of the mission. God's ultimate purpose in everything is to glorify himself. If you didn't catch that one, I'm sorry. Uh, right there. Uh, right there. That is the word that you go for point A, everything. Did anybody get that? We're going to get that one? Yeah? Now we're going to move on to point B, which is still under the mission of God glorifying himself. Point B, salvation accomplishes God's mission to bring himself glory. So how does God receive his own glory? One way of doing that is through evangelism. Salvation accomplishes God's mission to bring himself glory. See, the purpose of salvation is for God's glory, not ours. Look at what Isaiah, uh, Isaiah 43, 7 says. Everyone who is called by my name and whom I have created for my glory, who I have formed, even whom I have made. Look what he says in verse 25. I, even I, the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. The fact that God saves us even, the, the, the fact that God saves us at all, 
again, is not because we're good people with, we're, we're bad people with good intentions. No, that, forget about that in your mind. You, we're not good people. We are evil before the Lord, sons of disobedience, children of wrath. We're going to get to in a second. The fact that God saves us and takes away our transgressions, again, is for his glory. Not because we bring anything to the table or we have anything to offer or we're good people, bad people with good intentions. 1 John 2.12, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven you for his namesake. Look at Ephesians, Ephesians 1, verse 5 through 6. He predestined us to the adoption as a son through Jesus Christ himself, according to the kindness of intention of his will, to what? To the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. Look at verse 12. To the end that he who the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your, your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to what? To the praise of his glory. The fact that we're saved, the fact that sinners that deserve hell are saved is for who? For you? Ultimately, no. For God, for his own glory. See, some of you have heard a man-centered gospel. Some of you have heard maybe come from a church that preached this way of, of a gospel. What does it mean? It paints Jesus or God as a lonely grandfather in heaven, waiting for you just to accept him. It gives the value on man. Oh, God loved you so, so much. He was willing to give his only son so that you could be with him. How could you not come to Christ? Are there some truth there? Of course. God did love you to the point where he sent his only son. But not because of you. He loved you because of him. It ultimately rests on him. God can only glorify God. Period. God's most ultimate purpose in saving sinners is not to make much of them, but to make much of himself. And to bring sinners into the freedom of enjoying what? Making much of him forever. What does this mean? It means that salvation is about making worshipers. Salvation is God turning idolaters into true worshipers of the one true and living God. You got all those words, the underlying words in the workbook? That is the gospel. Men who are dead in their trespasses worship themselves. There is no God. They're their own God, the Lord over their lives. See, when the gospel comes and is preached and you are saved, it turns you from an idolater of praising and worshiping your own self to worshiping and praising the God who gave you this salvation. Knowing that you didn't deserve it, you're not good, you're not a bad person with good intentions. You're a bad person with bad intentions forever. The fact that he saved us 
is for his own glory and it shows his love. Think about it this way. You forgiving an enemy that did the worst to you, the worst possible sins to you and your family, and you forgive them. That is what this looks like. Not, oh, I forgive somebody who, you know, came into my house and he robbed food. He probably was hungry. He probably had good intentions. No, this is somebody who came inside your house and literally murdered you and your family and destroyed everything you most love because that's the weakness of the heart. And you forgiving this person. That is what this looks like. There was no good intention. It was all evil. It was all for the person's own glory, for the person's own, and you forgive them. We can't understand it. We never will. We, our minds are finite. We can't understand God's love. But this is God's love, that he would offer salvation to us, which in this illustration is the person who would go in and kill in everybody because of the evil intentions of our heart. Look what the Bible says. John four twenty three. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. Isaiah 49, 6 he says, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also make you light of the nations so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. I'm sorry. I'm trying to figure this out with PowerPoint and looking at my notes, so... C is the next point. Evangelism exists because worship does not. So we've gone over A, God's ultimate purpose and everything is to glorify himself. B, salvation accomplishes God's mission to bring himself glory. Now we're going to C, evangelism exists because worship does not. And that's where John 4.23 comes in. Making idolaters, worshipers. And where worship does not exist, that is where we need to go. That is what Isaiah is saying here, 49.6, where he goes, I, guess, I just can't be the God of you, Israel. I'm too big. I got to be the God of the world. You got to take this message everywhere. Everyone needs to worship me. He is worthy to be worshiped. By all nations. John Piper writes, Evangelism is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Evangelism exists because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not evangelism. Why? Because who is ultimate? Who is ultimate? Man? God. God is ultimate, not man. That's why evangelism exists. Because worship does not. See, evangelism is not, oh yeah, let's save those so they won't go to hell. No, let's save those so they can worship the true God because he deserves it. Everyone has to worship the king. Everyone has to bow to the king. The blessing of salvation is that we can experience fellowship with this king forever. That is what motivates us to do so. The fact that they're not going to hell... It's a plus, but that shouldn't motivate you solely that. Oh, if I don't speak, this person might end up in hell. No. You say, if, they don't, if I don't speak, this person is not going to worship 
the creator of the universe that's, that needs to be worshipped. How could they not worship him? Look how great he is. Look how awesome he is. And that takes you from a man-centered view to a God-centered view when it comes to evangelism. God's mission in our evangelism is to glorify himself by transforming sinners into true worshipers through the proclamation of his gospel. So that was the first point of what makes evangelism biblical. The mission. Now we're going to do to the second step or the second point of what makes evangelism biblical, the motivation. The motivation. Believers are motivated by love for God. Believers are motivated by love for God. So we have the mission, right, given to us by the Lord. Now what should motivate us to accomplish this mission? Well, point A says the following. If we love God, we will obey him. I forgot to underline, but if we love God, we will obey him. What does Matthew 22, 37 to 39 say? And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. What, how, what is the epitome of us showing love to God? How can we do that? By what? Through what? Through obedience. If you love him, you obey his commandments. And guess what happens to be one of those commandments? I mean, this is the class, preaching the gospel, right? Yes, that, one of those commandments is preaching the gospel. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. True biblical love for God will be demonstrated in patterns of obedience to Christ's commands. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Guess what? Are we called to obey always, or are we called to obey when we feel like it? The answer is always. But I'm a timid person. I, I'm just shy. Is that going to excuse you from the commandment? No, it's not. It won't. But it, it's not, I'm not as outgoing as other people. You think God is going to care when he's... Before, when you're before the throne, he's asking you, hey, how come you didn't share with, oh, well, you gave me a, an introvert personality. That's not going to work. Or if you're an extrovert, well, I just had other things to do. I was busy. I, I, I evangelized with my actions, Lord. Which we're going to get to. It's important, but not solely that. You have to speak. You have to proclaim it. We, we, we just went over this, the last lesson of Matthew. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You're not by yourself. That's the blessing that the Lord has given us. You're not by yourself when you evangelize. You're with Him. He abides in you. His authority is one that 
is spoken through your words that are his words. He saves, not you. You can trust that. Love for other love for God expresses itself in love towards others. So you love God, you say you love God, you're a Christian, you love his commandments, so you obey him. That should be number one, your motivation. But then the Bible says that if you love others more than yourself is the second, and it's as great as the first commandment, right? So then you are called to love others more than yourself as part of that obedience and What better way that you can love someone than to preach the gospel to them? For all things that are your sakes, so that for all all things are for your sakes, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of things to abound to the glory of God. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified just as it did also with you. True believers are characterized by selflessness, by sacrificial love. For if we love God, we will love our neighbors as ourselves. This love for God not only motivates us to evangelize, but characterizes every action we have with unbelievers. Every time you're with an unbeliever, if you love the Lord and if you're a believer in Christ and you're a Christian, you are going to have those thoughts. I got to evangelize. I got to preach the gospel. It comes with the territory. You cannot be a Christian and not think these things. You might suppress those thoughts. You might ignore them, but they're there. It comes with the territory. How do you know you're saved? We'll look at that in a second, but you have a burden. I got to preach the gospel. I might not know how to do it now. I, feel, I might not feel like doing it. I'm afraid of doing it, but you're getting that burden. It doesn't come out of nowhere. It comes from the Holy Spirit that indwells in you. So, love for others, love for God, we obey him, it it should motivate us. Now, what should not motivate us to evangelize? What should not motivate us to evangelize? Okay, yeah, spiritual pride, okay, what else? Okay. What, what should not motivate us? Which, yeah, something should motivate you, but there's something that should not motivate you when you preach the gospel as a believer in Christ. Okay. Okay, sure. Like, again, we'll, we'll categorize that with spiritual pride. Yeah, I feel so good afterwards of doing it. Look how great I am, right, that I obey God. Lord, I did something for you today, you know. Good, right? Trying, thinking that you're good enough to, to bring something to the table, which we're not, right? Guilt. Guilt. If I don't do it, then, oh, the Lord's not going to love me. And I'm not a Christian. And it, that should not motivate you. Because if it does, and you, and you fall into that, then you actually think that when you do evangelize, you did something about it. Oh, uh, of course I had to. Look how, look how great I am that I, that I preached the gospel and this person came to Christ. Look how it can get that way if it's out of guilt. But if it's out of love, out of love for your Savior, 
because of who he is, because you're just being obedient to him, it's a different mindset. And check yourself also every time when you're about to evangelize, am I doing this out of guilt or out of love? Because it changes your dynamic. Because if you do it out of love, it'll be genuine. It's truly pure obedience to the Lord. If you do it out of guilt, it'll be, oh, the Lord is not going to love me if I don't do it. And trust, trust me, guys, the Lord loves you because of Christ's righteousness in you, not because of what we do. You know the, the, the famous verse, even our good deeds, even the best days are like what before the Lord? Filthy rags. Filthy rags. Seriously. But if you do it out of love for God, because you want to obey him and please him, it's a pure intent. It's a better intent than out of guilt, like, oh, you know. And out of love, you don't want them to go to hell. Out of love, you don't want your brothers or sisters or cousins to go to hell or your, or your grandparents to go to hell. You want them to worship the Savior like you worship the Savior. Out of love, you would do that because these are his people. He bought them with what? The blood of his son. Love should motivate you, not guilt. Now, the sometimes, are you going to be motivated by guilt? Of course, because we're humans. So that means that I should evangelize. No, evangelize. Please do so. God will use your guilt for somebody to come to Christ. He uses anything because he's God. But it, when you do it in your mind, think of that. Point B, if we obey him, we will glorify him. Another reason that should motivate us is we want to glorify God, right? Every time we ask and you pray in the morning, Lord, allow me to glorify your name. How do you do that? How do you glorify God's name? Well, one of them is to obey him. And when you obey him, you obey his command to go and make disciples, right? For all things are for your sakes. I already read that one. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord spread rapidly and be, glor and be glorified just as he also did with you. God is glorified as we obediently proclaim the gospel of Christ. While only God can bring a sinner to repentance, we are responsible for what? To preach the message clearly and to preach it. When you preach it, you preach it and you preach it clearly. We glorify God by evangelizing, not only because evangelizing is an act of obedience, but also because in evangelism, we tell the world what great things God has done for the salvation of the sinners. We tell the world how great our God is. There's no greater thing that God did for the world than to send his only son to die for us. Now, if love for God and desire to obey Christ do not motivate you to evangelize, you may be falling into one of these three categories. Number one, you have greater fear of man than of God. You have more fear of what people are going to say, how many friends you're going to lose, how embarrassed you might feel if they attack you publicly than fearing the one who created you, the one that sustains your very breath, the very molecules that make your body. We tend to fear man instead of God. What does God say about this in his word? Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill a soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Not that we're not going to go to hell. I mean, not that this is salvation by works. What I'm saying is, if you're going to be thinking of what the other person is going to think of me, let that person be God. What is God going to think of me? Right? Not what is my neighbor, what is my friend, what is my family member. That's, what are they going to think about me? That should not be in your mind. Because they don't control your life. They don't control your destiny. God does. He is in control. Number two, 
if love for God and desire to obey Christ do not motivate you to evangelize, you might not be applying God's word. James 1, 2, 20, 22 to 25. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who, del- who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides in it, not having become forgetful here, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. What he's saying is, don't be like when you look at yourself in the mirror and look away and you forget about what you just saw. Don't do that. Dwell in the truths. Dwell in God's word. And what does God's word tell us to do? Out of many things, evangelize. Preach the gospel. It comes with the territory. Lastly, if love for God and the desire to obey Christ do not motivate you to evangelize, you may need to examine your own salvation. Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize that this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? What does this mean? We've told you this many times. You're not to judge anybody else's salvation, so stop doing that. It's very easy to be like, oh, that, that, he's definitely not saying, I can't believe he, he baptized himself publicly. Look at how that. That's not what God calls us to do, guys. God calls us to analyze our own salvation. Your, your, your choice to claim Christ. That was you. Am I a Christian? Some of you struggle with that still, and it's okay to struggle with that. That's what your parents are here, our leaders are here. Some of you know you're a Christian, and you're taking steps to do that publicly, like in baptism. Great, for, Good for you. That's great. Part of being a Christian is we evangelize. Not because God is going to love us more, but because we can't help it. Just like you can't help going back to the sin that you were before. Just like you can't help but worship God for what he's done. Just like you can't help but not serve the Lord and serve his kingdom. Just like you cannot do all these things. Same with evangelism. I'm not saying that you have the same passion for evangelism than others. Because some people actually have a gift of evangelism where they really like, they can make a conversation out of nothing. And all of a sudden you're talking about the cowboys to, hey, you know. God's going to judge you and you're going to die. And it, and it makes it seem like nothing. Like, how did you even get here? And that's great for those people. God is going to demand more for those people for the gift that he gave them. But just because you don't have the gift doesn't mean that you don't evangelize. You still have to evangelize because you all speak. And you all have reason. And you all obey. Just like you want to love the Lord by serving him and coming to NBC Kids and serving the Lord in the church. This is a way we serve the Lord. This is a way we are Christians. We evangelize. It comes with the territory. You can't separate it. And I pray that as we learn and as we read this and as you read God's word and all these verses that some of you stir up in this burden that you, you, you can become a missionary or, or, or you're evangelism gift, you're starting to see it as, hold on, I, I, think I, I think I'm good at this because the Lord has blessed me with this and this is going to give me the opportunity to do it more with people. But don't think that because you don't have the gift, you don't have to do it. No, no. All of us have to evangelize. All of us have to talk the greatness of our Lord to others. Does it have to be street preaching? It can be everyone. Neighbors, cousins, aunts, uncles, Parents, grandparents, that's your world. That's your mission field. 
And if you feel this burden more and more to go to unreached people because they're not getting the gospel, and the Bible is clear, if you don't hear the gospel, if it's not preached to you, there's no salvation for you. There's plenty of people throughout the world that die daily without hearing this good news. And the Lord has given burden to some to go across the sea to the unreached people. And if that's you, glory to God, we'll we'll work with you and we'll train you and we we will send you. But we are all called to the mission field of our homes, of our schools, of our neighborhoods. So don't think that it's just for missionaries, it's for all of us. We talked about the message. Sorry, we talked about the mission. We talked about the motivation. Now we're going to talk about the message. The message. The God-centered gospel presentation emphasizes God's glory and man's sinfulness. What is the gospel? It's good news. It's confrontational. Yes, it is. Why is the gospel confrontational? Why would it cause strife between people? Fox? Okay. Number one, you're telling them, hey, you're not as good as you think you are. Why else is it confrontational in today's 2023 world? Okay. Okay, that's all three of them together. I will categorize that as why it's confrontational. But why else? Yes, because ah, my truth is what I think and what I believe, and that's my truth. And when you tell somebody Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life, no one will go to the Father except through Him. It's exclusive. And because it's exclusive, it's going to be confrontational. Especially when you're out there and you talk to other people that are not in your group of friends. School, even maybe some co-op groups that have kids from other churches, university, work, co-workers. When you say, also, what do you, so those one billion Hindus that never heard the word of Christ, if they all die, they're going to go to hell? The, the answer in the Bible is yes, they are. <gasps> How could you be so close-minded? What kind of God does that? That's why we need to preach. That's why we're called to preach. Because the Bible is clear. And we will believe the Bible over human thought and human reason. Because that's what we want. That's what the God, the, the God's, the man-centered gospel, that we want to make God like our own. We want God to think like we do. God, if we have good intentions, you can forgive, right? You don't have to be that just. No, we can't make God human. God is God, and he has said, and we obey, and that is why it is confrontational. The gospel focuses on the work of Christ, man and God at the same time, and we see a lot of these deceptive messages, right? Come to Christ and all your problems will go away. Come to Christ and your life will change forever. You you are... Typically, a bad person, but you have good intentions, and God will forgive you. Just come to Christ. That's not, that's not the gospel. The gospel is take up your cross 
and follow me daily. Die to yourself and take up your cross and follow me daily. The God-centered gospel proclaims God's holiness. God is holy and is perfect. Okay? And because he's holy, what does he have to do? He has to punish sin. Period. You are to be holy as I am holy, says the Lord. The God-centered message reveals man's sinful condition. We're all guilty. There are none righteous, not even one. We all fall short of the glory of God. We're sinners. The God-centered message declares Christ as Savior and Lord. Why do I have the Savior and Lord underlined? Because some people say, oh yeah, I want to accept Christ as Savior, but then I'll make him Lord later on when it's convenient to me, when I want to stop sinning the way that I want to sin because I like the way I'm doing because I'm Lord of my life. That's not how it works. Salvation, he is Savior and Lord at the same time. There is no carnal Christian. Oh yeah, they're Christian. They They said a prayer, but yeah, they'll come... They'll come to mature one day when, when they'll, they'll stop sinning in the way that they're sinning. That's not how it works. The God, salvation happens right away. It's an immediate act of the Holy Spirit that he indwells in you. And he becomes your Lord and your Savior. Who are we to tell God, I'm ready for you when I'm ready? A God-centered message calls sinners to repent and believe in Christ. To Forms of sorrow. The worldly sorrow, which is motivated by con- primarily concerned with feelings of embarrassment from being caught or with thoughts of regret over the consequences of one's actions, but not really truly sorry. You're truly sorry that you got caught. You're truly sorry that you're suffering the consequences, but it's not a godly sorrow, which is the, the second type of repentance. Repentance without regret leading to salvation. You see, that's the foundation of saving faith. The genuine repentance is motivated by a solemn and urgent turning from sin and is a response of submission to God, resulting in forgiveness of sins. See, when you come to Christ, it's hard for those that grow up in the church to pinpoint when you went from darkness to life, when you went from, I I was totally living for myself and now I'm living for you. I get it. But if you are saved, at one point, you did that. Whether you remember or not, you did that. For those that come to Christ after living a worldly life and not growing up in church, they can tell you that they, for it's not, oh, I accept Christ in my heart. You know, I made the decision to choose you, God, and I'm, I'm so great. And no, it's, I'm, I'm a sinner. And I, I'm going straight to hell. God, please save me because I can't save myself. That is what true repentance is, where you see yourself for who you really are, not a bad person with good intentions, a bad person with bad intentions, evil to the core, that is crying out to the Savior to save you from your sin. And lastly, the God-centered message proclaimed God himself as the great end of the gospel. Many Bible-believing, theologically sound, conservative Christians conclude their presentation of the gospel at this point. 
But there's more. Remember, it's not about I want to be saved because I don't want to go to hell. It's that I get to worship the God who saved a sinner like me forever. I get to be in the presence of this God who gave his son for a filthy, wretched sinner like me. I get to worship this God who deserves the glory because he is God. That is where you want to lead the person. Not, hey, you know, if you don't make this prayer right now, you, the car might crash into you. You might go to hell. You better come and pray with me right now. It's, you're going to worship God because he deserves the glory. You can worship him now voluntarily or gonna, you, we're going to worship him in hell. But you will worship him because he deserves it. And I want to share this news with you. You are wretched before the Lord. You cannot do anything for your salvation. You're not good enough. You need to call out and ask for forgiveness and turn away from your sin so that he could save you and that you could worship him because he deserves it. That is the end of the gospel. Making idolaters into worshipers. God's chief end in salvation is his own glory. We already discussed this. And the sinner's greatest benefit is God himself. The greatest news of the gospel is that sinners may finally be reconciled to God and enjoy him forever. Quickly, the review. We went over the mission, the motivation, and the message. Now, the method. Number one. You got to live the transformed life. The way you think, what you think is what you say. If you're if you're if you're worldly in your thinking, you're going to be worldly in your saying and your behavior. You represent Christ. You don't represent yourself. So think about it. If you say bad words all the time in your neighborhood, in your school, and, somebody, and you're going to go and preach the gospel to somebody, they're going to be like, oh, what, what makes you different? You, you curse more than I do. If you're always disrespecting your parents or being disobedient in front of your friends in your neighborhood, in your school, and not honoring them, and you come and say, yeah, let's, I want to talk to you about Jesus. And they're going to be like, everyone at least knows the barometer between right and wrong. Right? The God puts that in our minds and our conscience. And they look at your life and you're like, hold on a second. Why are you trying to take me to church if you act totally different? See, your words, your actions validate or authenticate the message that you're giving. You're telling them, I was a sinner and now I'm saved and I struggle with sin, but I live for the Lord. And your actions show it. It doesn't save them. But it authenticates the message that this God can save anybody, including you. So don't ever think that you are a good Christian that sometimes sin. Don't think that of yourself. You're a, you're a bad person, right? That your, sinf- your sinful condition, that you struggle with sin, but you're trying to be sanctified daily and live for the Lord. That's why the whole process of change, we got to renew our mind daily. We got to renew our mind daily 
to the things of above so we can live in a way that adorns the doctrine of God. Another one, we have to maintain a lifestyle of prayer. Pray for all those around you. Look at what Colossians 4, 3-4 says. Praying at the same time for us as well that God will open to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been in prison. And if I do get an opportunity that I may speak it clear in the way I ought to speak. Do your, is your prayer life filled with those to pray for that are unsaved? That's what a spiritual prayer looks like. I'm glad we all have pets. I'm glad we all have games. I'm glad we all have tests. But if your prayers are just like, can I get a good grade on my test, God? And I don't want to get injured, Lord. And can you just, you know, my pet is, is sick. Can you? Those are fine. But Paul and the apostles, there's other things to pray for that are more important than those things. It's to him to be glorified. For your, for your unbelieving family members to be saved. Think about it. Salvation of my family, eternal blessing or eternal health so they can be worshiped for God or not get injured in the game or pass a test. These are all things that you can do on your own. You study for a test. You can ask the Lord to help you, give you the, the discipline to study for the test so you can honor his name by getting a grade because you're a Christian. That's different. Or that Lord, instead of let me not get hurt, let me not get prideful to the point of hurting or shoving my neighbor at church because we're competing. No, Lord, let me, let me be humble. Let me show my humility, the love of Christ to others while we're competing for your glory so that I'm a Christian. Those are different prayers than just a regular kind of selfish prayer in that sense. There, there are other things that need to be done. There are, there, there are spiritual prayers that we need to encourage ourselves and pray like the apostles pray. Again, there's nothing wrong with those prayers. Please don't take that. Tell your parents, oh, Hondo doesn't want me to pray for my dog. No, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that not at the expense of your, your unbelieving family members. Present the gospel with wisdom and innocence. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. This means that there's a time and place for everything. You have to be wise, right? Like somebody started asking over here, if you start preaching the gospel and they start asking you questions that are not about it and they want to go into evolution and want to go into the Big Bang Theory and want to go into dinosaurs and all that, you bring them back to the gospel. I'll, I'll answer those questions, but there's something even more important than that that you need to be aware of. It's your condition before the Lord. Yeah, but what about this and that? I'm like, I understand. We'll get there. But again, let's, let's focus on something. And then he continues. Okay, you know what, man? It's good. All right, we'll, we'll have this conversation another day. You got to be wise to not engage and not throw your pearls at pigs. But you also have to be gentle as a dove in love. You can't be preaching the gospel. Dude, you're so dumb. How can you not be a Christian? Like, really? You want to go to hell? Like, come on. You can't do that either because what kind of testimony are you giving? Wise and meek together. And the Holy Spirit will help you, and you will learn that, and when to do it, when to not. Again, this is not try to make people confrontational on purpose, right? There's a time and place for everything. Not that street preaching is wrong. It, it could be a blessing, but not at the point where, am I really going to go to a, I mean, it's fine. It's an issue of conscience. I don't want to put that in here. But what I'm saying is there's a time and place for everything. There's a time and place. And you want to, the love of Christ, you want to show it. You don't want to push people away. I'm not saying to speak the truth. You can speak the truth, but in love. And if they still uh, against it, then just let it go. Because it's God the one that saves, not you. 
Rely on Scripture as the only authority. Your testimony is not the gospel, guys. It's not. You can tell your people all day long how you were sinful and how God saved you and how great you are right now and what you're doing right now for the Lord. That's great. But focus on the work of Christ in your life. I was a sinner in need of a Savior. I was dead in my trespass. I was going straight to hell. I was running to hell. I was sprinting to hell, in fact. But God in his grace, he lived a perfect life that I could never live. And his righteousness is now in me. And I live for him. And it's the best decision that I could have made to render myself and to bow the knee to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And you should too because one day we will be judged. It's the word of God that changes. It's the gospel that, it's the power of God for salvation for those who believe. Not your testimony, not your nice words, not your intellectual arguments of Creation versus intelligent design versus evolution. That's not going to save people. It validates your faith. It makes our faith is rational. It's not irrational. Intelligent design makes sense. But intelligent design is not going to save that person. It's the gospel that's going to save that person. Preach the gospel first. Finish the conversation with the gospel. And then if you feel ready and you love apologetics and you're ready to have that conversation, have it. But not at the expense of the gospel. Not at the expense of the gospel. Because that conversation will not save them. Whether you can convince them or not for intelligent design makes more sense than evolution, it won't save them. It won't. The gospel will. And that's what we focus on. Conclusion, do you love people? We say we love people. Do you love people? Are you concerned about their eternal destiny? Are you concerned about making them worshipers to God? Pray to be passionate and relentless to preach the gospel and authenticate that message with your actions. Homework. Memorize card one. For those that don't have the workbook, go get a gospel track. And memorize lesson one, all of it. Day one, or first step, which is... God created everything and owns everything. You got to memorize Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You got to memorize Psalm 24.1. The earth is the Lord and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. God is perfectly holy. 1 John 1.5, this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Mark, uh, Matthew 5.48, therefore you are to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Lastly, God requires perfect obedience to his law. James 2.10, for whoever keeps the whole law, yet someone's in one point, has become guilty of all. You are to memorize it in that order. God, he is holy. God, he created, he's the owner and creator of everything. He is holy. He requires perfect obedience and the verses that accompany that. That is your homework assignment, okay? How many of you are committing to do this for next Sunday? Raise your hand. Okay, for those that commit and raise your hand, I will meet with you personally and we will have like our own group doing this. And then the others are also going to be practicing with the small group leaders on your own. But if you want to do the final exam, I want to make sure that those that are going to do that final exam are equipped to do so. Okay? And I want to make sure that you guys are on it. Don't do this to please me. Don't do this to please your parents. Do this to please the Lord. Do this out of love for him, not out of guilt for him. Because if you're doing out of guilt for him, just don't do it at all. Just come to the lessons and let the Holy Spirit come in and, 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 and convict you. But don't do it out of guilt. Do it out of, man, I, I call myself a Christian. It's a kind of embarrassing that I don't know how to preach his gospel. But I want to I change that. And that's what we're doing. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your greatness. 
We thank you, Father, because we can trust in you, Lord, that you are the one that saves, not us. We have to be obedient. We have to memorize scripture. We have to memorize a clear gospel to present. And we have to have the courage to present it, which you can help us with because your word says that you are, both, you are working us both to will and to work for your own good pleasure, God. And we ask that you can give us the will to work, to memorize, and to preach your gospel. And we pray for those unbelieving friends that we're going to have in our minds and our list that we're going to interview this week that we're going to pray for. Please allow us to give, 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 give us the boldness and the courage to do so, God, out of love for you because we love you, God, and we want to worship you and glorify your name. It is in your name we pray. Amen.